Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to the 56th episode of Kiwi and the Bird, Book Nerds in Session. I'm Taylor. I'm Kami. And in this episode, we're going to go into an in-depth discussion about the poisonous and lethal Belladonna by Adeline Grace. If this is your first time listening, welcome. We're trying something new today. We're going to try to fill in all of our thoughts and feelings for Belladonna in just half an hour. If you like this episode and if you want to support our podcast, just click on the link in the episode description. Now, as we discuss everything about Belladonna, and I mean everything, here's your one and only... Spoiler spoiler alert! alert. Kami, would you like to give us a spoiler alert sound effect? You forgot you had to do it, didn't you? I do every (laughs) time! (laughs) That's you on Belladonna. (laughs) And now, on to the show. Now, this is a story with a little bit of a romance in it. Um, here's a huge spoiler, okay? There are two characters in this story. The two love interests, right? There's That's the spoiler, is that there's just two characters in this story? (laughs) Spoiler, there's two characters in this story. (laughs) There are two characters. One is Death himself, and one is a stable boy named Silas. Who, like, you know, our protagonist, like, kind of, like, goes through the story with and, like, does things and, like, hates one, doesn't hate the other, blah, blah, blah. Seems love triangle-ish. Yes. Until the end where we discover that Death and Silas are the same person. And then we're like, but why? (laughs) (laughs) It makes no, like, I, Death's motivations to do that was, was non-existent. Because it's like, I get you're lonely. On the surface level, but I didn't feel it. You have no other motivation to be involved in this. Like, you are a concept. You are a concept. And so since death is a concept, then Silas was a concept. And I was like, no, I wanted Silas to be his own character. I wanted him to come in at some point and, like, be a part of it. Because I kept wanting him to come back. But he, like, he was gone for, like, a chunk. He was gone for a chunk. Yeah. And I was like. You know what? I'm really sick of Signa being like, I hate death, but he's really hot. Like, you have no motivation to stay in the story. And neither does death. So why should a romance make any sense? So for me with the romance, I think like the basis of the romance is that death and Signa have this bond because she's the only person who can see him and who can interact with him really yeah. and who has his powers or yeah. is developing his powers at least. But I felt like even though, yeah, I feel like that could be the basis for the romance, I didn't feel like it was deep enough to produce a romance. Absolutely not. And so, yeah, like you said, with the whole death and Silas thing, I think Death's reasoning for it was that he was like, you hate me so much as Death that I wanted to get to know you in a different way. But I didn't feel enough hate from Cigna to warrant making an entirely different illusionary version of yourself just to get to know her better. Also, you're seeing her as it is. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and also I was like, I felt like the relationship Cigna had with Death progressed way more and way faster than her relationship with Silas. Thus negating death's original intention yeah but 
I feel like the chemistry in the story is non-existent. Could have been stronger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I didn't really feel the kinetic energy. I didn't feel the banter. I didn't feel the teasing or the defiance. I felt like Signet kind of just slew words at death and then death would be like, oh yeah, my bad. And then it kind of just ends, you know, because yeah. Signet would be like, you know, you've killed all these people in my life and you've altered so many things and I can't forgive you. And that's like, oh dang. And then that's it. <laughs> yeah, I wish, like you said this before in the recommendation, but I wish death had more things to hide. Mm-hmm. Like, he literally could have just told Signa that he just was killing these people because they were terrible to her from this get-go. There's no reason to withhold that information. That's true. Yeah. Why wouldn't he say that a long time ago and be like, hey, by the way, I only killed your uncle right then just because he sucked, you yeah. know? And actually, I I feel like that would change the relationship when Signa would be like, thank you <laughs> for doing that. Yeah. But like he didn't have anything to hide. So why did he hide things? Like there was no, there was nothing like on the side that he was doing that he was trying to protect Signa from, or that he was trying to stop from happening. Like there was nothing from his side. Yeah, I wanted Death to be more at fault. Mm-hmm. I did want him to have something that if he ever did tell Signa, she would truly hate him and never forgive him. Like something to that extent, where it would be something he would want to hide, and it's something that would divide their relationship because their relationship also I feel like felt too easy I felt completely too easy like the first time they kissed I was like didn't you hate him yeah like why are why why are there just feelings of lust all of a sudden I I get that he has a handsome stature a handsome shadow (laughs) (laughs) but there's got to be a little bit more to this relationship than that for me to feel it as the reader Yeah, if you can't see a character's face, he has to have a hell of a personality. I thought it was going to be like a hell of a body. I don't know. It could have gone in a few different directions. He has to have a killer personality. (laughs) Or an insanely good body that you can actually see. (laughs) Because I feel like, okay, romance is hard already, right? Mm -hmm. Because you have to make a reader feel something through your character, but deep enough that we can actually feel it as the reader, right? And so I feel like even though Signa may have felt things in the book, it just wasn't reaching me. Oh, yeah. It's because we were not shown the things that she was feeling. We were told the things that she was feeling. Yes. And I think that one of the biggest things for me as well was just the fact that the story was set in the 1800s. And we said this before. It didn't feel like it was in the 1800s. So, like, with a romance that's set in that kind of era, I want there to be taboo. (laughs) I want there to be, like, I want, I wanted Signa to be more of a proper lady as it was. Mm. And for Death, who's the supernatural being, who has no concept of society, to be more daring with that. Oh, yes. And, like, Signa kind of, like, blushing and, like, coming back because that's not the way she was raised because she is a proper lady. But who would find out because he's Death? Uh, oh, my God. Look at you. Oh, my God. You're, yeah. yeah you could yeah. have had that. And, like, I think she could kind of, like, see his eyes or something or, like, the imprint of his eyes or something along like <laughs> she could just feel his eyes <laughs> like in the victorian era like the things that make the tension are the longing looks across the room they're the slight brushes of the hand they're the 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 appropriate dances that feel inappropriate oh my goodness Kami. keep going <laughs> <laughs> like it's all of those little things 
Like, it's the fact that they can't just make out with each other in a bedroom or go to the afterlife and have sex. <laughs> I can't. Like, she could have built it up with that. Like, she had the things in place of, oh, she's a proper lady, but death is not, but he's daring. And, like, the whole thing was, like, oh, well, I'll respect her enough, but, like, I really want it. I, I'll respect her, but also I'll challenge her, too, yes, with her beliefs. Yes, that's what it is. Yes. Yeah, I think with Signa, too, it was hard because she wasn't truly committed to, like, any moral system. So, like, she wasn't a proper lady, like you said. Like, she wasn't truly committed to being a proper lady. I know she wanted to be one, but she wasn't truly committed because she does have sex with death later. So, clearly, she's not that committed. Nope. Or else that would have been a no-no. Absolutely. But then it's not, it's like she's not enough of a free spirit to not be committed to society's rules. So I feel like she either needed to be kind of the free spirit who rejects other people's opinions, who doesn't care what people think about her, and kind of challenges death. Like maybe death is a little bit more of like the conservative one or like the, oh, we shan't touch. Oh, maybe because like he's lived among the humans for so long that he... He'd be more adjusted to their customs. Yeah, to society. He's he's very much in societal convention because he has to be to hide the fact that he's death or something. He's literally old-fashioned because he's old. (laughs) See, that would have been good too. Or, uh, yeah, like you said, to have her instead be like the super rigid kind of conformist. And I'm saying conformist just because of the society. But it just felt like she wasn't committed enough. And I'm like, it's it's the 1800s. You got to commit. The 1800s was all about committing. <laughs> it really was. Like, marriage, like, you couldn't be alone with a man in a room without them being like, your honor is trash. <laughs> yeah. I would have been hung 18 times back then. Yeah. And it's, I mean, like, okay, that's the whole side with death. But let's look about Silas, right? Let's look about status. Status in the 1800s is also a huge thing. So the fact that she she was a ward under this the um, the Hawthorne house yes. and he was a stable boy. Yes, she totally could have worked in like the whole like status thing, where it's like I shouldn't be dallying with a servant, but we have to solve this mystery together. Or the fact that Signa keeps sneaking out at night. I wanted her to get caught. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted her to catch her in the throes with the stable boy, you know, yes. and then bringing shame upon the Hawthorne family. And, you know, again, feeling the rigidity of the Victorian era, even though she might be a free spirit, she can, she would still be punished, you know, yeah. in that sense. But there just wasn't enough of that forbiddenness. You know, it's all about the subtlety. It's all about what you, you're not supposed to do. That makes it so nice to be done. Exactly. And just, if you have an 1800s story, have it be set in the 1800s. Make it make it so. And, like, put in, like, the supernatural things, too. Like, weave that into the story. Like, oh, let's, like, let's give death a lot of power, but let's have that limited. And, like, let's see him at his limits. Yes. I want to see him at his most powerful and his most powerless. Yes. Yes. And to see how that, how, how, like, what that does to the relation. Ah! Well, and also, too, with the whole death wanting to teach Signa more about her powers, I felt like there could have been a lot of romantic instances oh, where, God. like, there could have been intimacy promoted through trying to teach her these powers. But I don't feel like that was fully utilized either. No, they had, like, we, we as a reader saw, like, one scene of that. But I think one of the biggest scenes for me, one of the biggest questions I had with the romance was the ending. 
because death basically tells Cigna, hey, I know I've been around this entire time, but I can no longer be around because death happens. And one that was a little confused to me because I'm like, well, you have been around this entire time and no one's been currently dying. Well, I know that Blythe was in the process of dying, but she was not dead. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And so I felt like it was a really kind of confusing conflict to divide them. But then doesn't matter because then 40 pages later, they're reunited again when death uh, shows up at the party and reaps everyone. Yeah. Well, reaps the death that happened. Yeah. And I was like, what? mm, I'll talk. No, I'll save it for the ending. I'll save it for the ending. But yeah, I was confused with that, too, because it didn't feel enough like a romantic conflict. It didn't really feel dividing. And also, you mentioned this when we weren't recording but death and um, Cigna can communicate telepathically. Mm-hmm. So even if you can't see each other, just FaceTime with your minds. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they did in the Maze Runner. That's what they did in Once Upon a Broken Heart. Y'all can do it too. Just because we're in the 1800s doesn't mean we're restricted, okay? <laughs> you can even write a letter. <laughs> write a letter to death. Like, I just, but it's because Death didn't have so much to his side. He didn't have that depth to his character that we didn't understand why there was a divide. Because we didn't understand his powers. And his limits, like you said. Exactly. Okay, we do also have a couple of side characters in this story. Um, What are your thoughts? With the side characters, so overall, mm-hmm. I did not understand why Cigna had such a bond to her cousins in particular, Blythe and Percy, because obviously the whole crux of the story is that Cigna basically gets adopted by the Hawthorne. She goes into their household, meets these new cousins that she never knew she she had until now. Blythe is dying, et cetera, et cetera. And very quickly, Cigna's like, I'd do anything for these people. Like, I think it's literally from... Two sentences that she's like, okay, well, I have to save her now. After Blythe and Percy being mean to her. Basically, yeah. And after her past of her past character caretakers being mean to her as well. I'm like, you should be the most untrusting, unforgiving, kind of a grudge holder, kind of a not trusting person. I already said untrusting, but in a different way. Anyways, person on the planet, like why why are you so devoted to these cousins already when they haven't given you a reason to be devoted to them? Now, if Percy and Blythe were super welcoming and kind and showed Cigna a love that she's never had before, I'd get it. I'd be like, okay, fight for them, figure out the murder mystery. You do all that. But they didn't. And Cigna's like, I want to save Blythe. And I'm like, that's great to save a life. But in this instance, why? <laughs> yeah, I mean, or maybe it was because I think the author wanted to portray how desperate Cigna was for company. And that's why she's like, everyone I've been around always dies, and that's why I hate death. But, like, I wanted to see more of that. like Her desperation? Me, yeah, mm-hmm. let me see her desperation. Let me see her loneliness, because I haven't seen it. Yeah, how I want to see how she grasps on to someone, even if they're rude to her, in the hopes that one day she'll be accepted and fulfilled by a connection. Yeah, but with all of her connections to the side characters, they were just a little bit bland, right? So, like, 
her thing with Blythe and like her trying to save her. Like I think Blythe herself was a pretty good character. I liked that even though she was sick, like she was like, no, I can still do this or no, like I'm not going to let this bring me down or I'm not going to not face the reality of this. Right. And I think she could have been a good character in that sense, but because of, because Cigna's the protagonist and we don't really see her connections to the side characters, we don't, we can't feel that connection. We can't feel their actual character, right? Or with, um, what's the governess's name? Marjorie? Yes. Like, I didn't feel Cigna's connection to Marjorie, um, to Percy, to Blythe. I mean, I think I felt it the most with Elijah. Yeah, same, yeah. Because he was kind of like the father she never had. And they actually had moments where they talked, you know. I think one of them was when Cigna came back from being with Silas and she walks in and Elijah's there and he's like, what are you doing out? Having trouble. Can you hear the ghost too? Or it was, I think it was a conversation like that. Yeah. I wanted him to be a bit more like, why are you out at this hour? Like the whole like Cigna getting caught thing. Yeah. But it wasn't that. No, but I still felt like it was a bonding moment. At it still least. was a bonding moment, but she doesn't have a lot of those. And I feel like, with the murder mystery, the way that you make it, like, really tense is the fact that the protagonist does get along with all these characters. She, they do have, like, maybe with this character, it's, like, rife with tension because of this thing. Or, like, this one you see is, like, a mother, but, like, maybe she's secretive. Like, those things. And, like, in a murder mystery, like, you want the reader to not really be able to guess who the killer is. And, like, the way you do that is through the, all these connections and, like, oh, maybe this... Like, she did this, so maybe this could be it, but that's not enough evidence. Mm-hmm. You don't really get that sense. Yeah, with the murder mystery, I think you definitely want to create the love between the characters, but then also the doubt. Because you love them so much, you know what they could, what they're capable of, or what you think they're capable of. And with Percy being, spoiler alert, <laughs> the poisoner mm-hmm. at the end, I felt like it was just too, I didn't know him enough. Yeah. To really feel surprised by the revelation or affected by it. And I didn't even feel like Cigna was very affected by it. Nope. And so, and I didn't know what Percy was capable of. Actually, I feel like the deepest connection I probably understood was that Percy cared for Blythe. Mm, Really? (laughs) I felt like that was the strongest one for me personally. Oh. Because I felt like he was very attentive to her. He was by her side. You know, like he, in every scene, he typically was doing something with her. And so then that kind of made me even more confused with the ending, with him poisoning her. I was like, oh, I guess I really misread that. (laughs) (laughs) Literally misread. The strongest connection for me was the tension between Percy and his father. Mm. Because it was like, why, why is Elijah doing these things? Like, why is he kind of screwing over his son? And I didn't love Elijah's reasons for it. I wanted there to be something more other than the fact that his wife died, which, I mean, sad. Not going to lie. Still Rough. Sad. Rough. But I was like, but you understand you still need to provide for your family and your son wants this, right? Or if maybe if something had happened in the past with Percy where he made a mistake and almost derailed the company and ruined their fortune and da-da-da, something like that, then I'd understand if Elijah was more hesitant to, like, trust him again. But there really was no reason not to give Percy the reins. Yeah, I mean, I think another one of Elijah's reasons was just the fact that he's like, I spent so much of my time with the business that I wasn't with my dying wife and I wasn't with her in, like, her last moments, and I don't want that for my son. I want him to, like, be around the people that love him. And I was like, but you as his father are not around him. Yeah. 
That completely contradicts the reason why you're keeping it from him. Well, and also, your son at some point is very likely to need to work. So might as well, like, better to teach him the balance of work and uh, family. Yeah, and I feel like the uncle should have come in way more. Yeah. I think the uncle was mainly a misdirect for the murder mystery with him striking Marjorie. It's like, oh, is the uncle the killer? But he's just, he's too obvious a misdirect, I think. Where also too, I don't, I don't feel like he was, I wanted him to be a deeper character because his main conflict was just that he loved Elijah's wife, Lillian, who passed away. Yeah, that was it. And then like, once that was like a little bit resolved, he just left. He was gone. He's a runner. He's a track star. (laughs) (laughs) So I feel like I, the basis of this was just the fact that Cigna didn't have many connections with the side characters. We didn't really get to know them very well. Yes. Or at least the connections that were there didn't feel strong enough or didn't feel emotional enough mm-hmm. to have an impact. Yeah. The ending. The ending. Dun, dun, dun. The ending didn't make sense to me. Because there's, uh, there's a lot of threads to tie. Yes. There's a whole thing of discovering that Percy is the person who killed Lillian and was killing Blythe. His reasonings didn't make sense to me. I was like, okay, so you were trying to kill Marjorie, who is your birth mother, who's your biological mother. And to save the reputation of your family, you wanted to kill her so there'd be no no connection. Oh, like question of your um, bloodline. Yes. Yes. Um. But then you realize that you were poisoning Lillian. And you said it, then like person was like, but it was too late to stop. So I just kept doing it until she died. And I was like, isn't that going to bring more questions? Like more people in to see that you and Marjorie are actually mother and son. And then he was like, I didn't understand why he had to do it to Blythe. Well, also, yeah. Why did he do it to Blythe? But why didn't he just stop poisoning Lillian? He would have just saved her life and everyone would have just chalked it up to sickness. Yeah. I mean, he was literally like, yeah, I was poisoning her and I didn't know. And then I, when I realized, I just, uh, I kept going. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It just felt a little. Yeah. Like, why, though? Like, if he had a hatred for Lillian or something like that, then, okay, poison her. But I don't, he didn't. Out of all of the side characters, he had the least amount of motivation to do it. Actually, it would make more sense if he was poisoning his father. And then, like, if Lillian caught him or something, and then he had to kill Lillian so that no one knew he was trying to kill his father. Or something like that. Oh, my gosh. It would have been so much better. But it's pretty. It's made pretty clear that Percy did love his mom. Oh, yeah. He did love Lillian. So just just put the, the belladonna berries away. I was like... How are you saving your family's reputation by killing your mother and sister? Yeah. I don't know why he killed Blythe. Why he was trying to kill Blythe. Yeah, I wasn't, I didn't understand that. Like, the whole Marjorie Percy thing, I was like, oh, like, that's fine. Like, I can see it. Like, that's, that could be motivation for something. Yeah. And I was like, okay, great. Like, where's this going? And then it went all to that. And, like, the scene in the garden didn't make sense to me. Because the whole thing of, like, Percy knowing that, burning it, like, makes the spirit leave and like how did he get that information Lillian being like knowing to possess Signa to be able to speak but then also being able to speak when she's not possessed anymore yes um why death was there and did nothing yeah I feel like death could have been more instrumental in this mystery I know that he was you know accompanying Signa 
along on their journeys to try to figure things out. But I felt like he could have had a little bit more information, insider information, as he is death himself. He's death himself. And also with Lillian being healed at the end as a spirit. Yeah. I, I didn't understand why that happened, but apparently that happened. And the fact that, like, no, no, like, the, after all that in the garden, like, no one really questioned where Percy went. I didn't, like, I didn't feel that. I was like, wouldn't Marjorie, I know that Marjorie was, like, kicked out of the house, but she came back. And I was like, why isn't she freaking out about the fact that her son is just gone? Like, no one's going to question Cygna as to, like, hey, the garden burned. And, like, Elijah was there. Yeah. Like, why wasn't he, like, where's Percy? Where's my son? Now, if everyone, if everyone had heard Percy's confession and then he died and then everyone like blamed on the fire or something, that would make sense because maybe it's something like they want to put to rest. They don't want Percy to be remembered as a murderer. Like I'd get that, but it is the fact that no one knew he was the murderer and then his disappearance goes unaddressed when yeah. Percy's been very present the entire time for both his father and his sister. Yeah, and then at the very very end, right, we have the party and like death was like separated from Signa for no reason at all. And then tragedy strikes because uh, the father of one of Cygnus Suter, what is his name? Westward? Everett, I think. Everett, that's his name. His father, like, dies. And I think that's why Death was able to be there. But then, oh, fate suddenly shows up. Well, I thought a bunch of people died at the party because the wine was poisoned or something. Oh. <laughs> I don't remember. I may have to reread that. I mean, I'd like that. That's like the callback to like what happened to Cygnus' parents, except for she doesn't actually wonder about that. And that's a whole thing as well. <laughs> I should have said that back in then. But, but yeah, that's an issue for me. That's fat has, this whole thing. Like we, we see Cygnus' background, but she doesn't question it at all. Like that's not like a motivation for her when it totally could have been. Well, so does she remember it? Oh, oh how, how aware <laughs> is she as a baby? Because in the first chapter, she seems very aware as a child. And let me tell you, I've met a few babies and they don't know what's going on. Anyways, continue. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, but fate shows up at the end. And fate is mentioned, I think, once or twice throughout the the, the continuation of the story. Well, not the the, the flow of the story. Mm -hmm. And, like, it did make me a little introduced to, like, Death's side because I was like, oh, well, Death says that there's fate. So is he controlled by fate? Is fate, like, his superior? But there were also mentions of God. And I was like, what does God have to do with this? And so, like, the what fact What does that God have to do with this? <laughs> So the fact that, like, death was, like, a person, like, we didn't know that fate was, like, an actual person. Like, he just shows up all of a sudden. I, I think I, when I was reading, I surmised that fate was another godly type figure. I, I think I assumed that fate was a person. Okay. I didn't. Oh. I mean, I think, well, okay. I probably did, but I didn't expect him to show up when he did. Mm. Because I was just like, what does fate have to do with this? Like, he hasn't had anything in this story. Why would he just show up? It's almost like fate showed up as repercussions for Cygna saving Blythe by choosing someone else to die. And so fate is coming back at the end to perhaps in a sequel, you know, have her pay her dues for that decision. But that happened weeks after. Um, maybe his, maybe he's, he's not punctual. <laughs> it just, the, the ending just didn't make sense to me. Yeah, I do think the ending, I could have, I think it could have been clearer in that just a few added motivations, a few added motivations with, with Percy, if he hated his mother, if like he had been caught in something else, thus he had to silence her or something like that. Even with his mother being healed at the end, actually, when I first read that she was healed, I was like, oh, 
Like, it kind of made me think of Haunted Mansion, how Elizabeth is the curse, and then once she's released, then everything's healed. And I was like, oh, that would have been interesting if perhaps Lillian had kind of been like a curse on Hawthorne House. And because of her restlessness and death and the injustice in her death, until she is released, the house is in perpetual chaos and doom and something like that. But then it wasn't because there wasn't really an explanation for her to be healed. Nope. And then death and sickness parting, I mentioned this before. I don't feel like there was much of a reason for it that made sense given the context of the story and how they've stayed together this entire time. But I did like that fate arrived at the end because there had been mentioned of him. And I like that he kind of arrives in this grandiose way to to kind of ruin this party. And it kind of feels like, you know, you're like it's time to deal your sentence. Like he has kind of an ominous presence in the story to me, which I think could lead well into a sequel. But see, the thing with me is that the fact that it could have been something that death was hiding from Cigna. Fate could have been that thing that he was hiding. True. But there was nothing on his side. And so the fact that like that's kind of like the whole supernatural side where death is coming from, but we don't actually see that, it was completely abrupt for me for fate to show up when he did. Mm. I like the how he's like, hey guys, <laughs> it's me. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty that's pretty good. But I was like, okay, so this is gonna be the love interest now because we don't have a love triangle anymore because of just death. <laughs> fate decides to become another person too, so it's like a, a a hexagon oh my gosh. triangle oh my gosh. <laughs> a hexagon love romance i yeah yeah now whether or not there is a sequel to belladonna which there is, there is one there is going to be one. Oh, do we know the title i think it's called foxglove oh well oh yeah that's at the end of the book i i'm an idiot sorry no. please ignore me <laughs> So what do you think will happen in the sequel to this book, Fox Love? I do think that fate will become another love interest. Mm. There will be some conflict with him and death for whatever reason that we have no inkling of. Um, I think Cigna's going to probably go into her powers a bit more, even though she didn't, she like, she got into her powers real quick in this first one. So I don't really see where else she could go with that. But that's probably a thing. Um, I don't, I don't. I can't see how it'll take place in Hawthorne House. So I think do think that we'll get a different setting. Um, I think Everett will probably have a bigger role. Yeah, because there's like father died or whatever, <laughs> <laughs> and he was courting Signa. Yeah, I do. What I do want to happen is I want Percy's disappearance to be a bigger deal. I want Signa to like be questioned for it. Maybe like, oh wait, she's a murderer. She killed Percy. Like, I'd love that. Thank you. <laughs> Repercussions. <laughs> Have consequences to your actions. Um, but other than that, I don't really... So, yeah, that's probably it for me. So my prediction for the sequel is that since it's named Foxglove, I think that Signa is kind of finally going to question the mystery of her birth and why her family died. I could see the setting changing. Like, I could see... Blythe and Signa being sent off somewhere else, maybe like a ladies, like you know those like society lady gatherings back in the day where it's like everyone has tea together and learns how to be proper. And oh, maybe... high tea! Oh, is that what it's called? <laughs> or I mean, there's like the school, like the lady school. Yeah, there's like there's finishing that. school. That's what it's called. But um, they they didn't have to really have to do that here. But I think it will be more so like. An, 
like a mature lady thing. I'm thinking like she's the man, like the debutante oh, gotcha. scen- gotcha. scenario. Uh-huh. And yeah, I think that's right. I think that, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm going with. And now for the scary sound. <laughs> Your reenactment was actually kind of close. <laughs> I've listened to it quite a bit. We are now going to be playing How Would You Survive? We have four minutes to pose four survival scenarios that pertain to Belladonna. Question one is, if you could talk to death, what would you ask him? Why can't you do anything? <laughs> Why are you the way that you are? Just like in this setting, in the Belladonna world, I literally asked Death, like, so what can you do? So you help people pass on. Great. Can you cause a death? What power do you have? Are you Lord of the, can you make like dead souls, like do things shit for you? Like, what can you do? <laughs> I love how shit transitioned to the, into things. Can you make dead people do sh- things for you? It's important. I think I would just be like, death, why? Why? <laughs> why are you here? Why am I me? Why are we we? He doesn't have answers. <laughs> and I think I'd be like, is there Tucanos on the other side? <laughs> I'd be like, we got shadows, bro. Okay? If you're hot, who fucking, who cares? How can you see? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, their second question is, what would you do if the person you were falling in love with was masquerading as two people? Is that is this how people feel when they date a twin? <laughs> Um, how would I feel if someone I was dating, or I guess I love, is two people? Um, I think I'd feel pretty much the same. I would be like, you didn't have to be two different people, but I formed relationships with both versions of you, so let's just combine that into one. (laughs) (laughs) And we can try it out, or we can just end it now. I already have trust issues as it is. So if the person I was falling in love with was like, hey, I'm actually also this person, but I didn't just, I didn't tell you, I would immediately not trust them again. And I'd be very insecure. I'd be like, mm, so you didn't tell me you were another person. So maybe you're cheating. Um, you're literally two-faced. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I feel like you have two different personalities. <laughs> I literally couldn't trust them after that. I'd be like, mm, bye, gone. No trust, no love. The hard thing is, is that you take a risk when you're masquerading as two people when you're one, because there's always a chance that someone could like one version of you more than the other. That too. And then what do you do? Because it's actually just you. (laughs) (laughs) Something to think about. Something to think about. (laughs) Now, question three, what would you do if you moved to a new home and the ghost of its past mistress asked you to solve her murder? I'd move. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. I'm like, I already have my own crap to deal with. I don't need to deal with yours. I think I would just talk to the ghost a little bit, see if it's cool or not, and then be like, you know what? Yeah, I kind of like head out. I'm sorry (laughs) what happened to you. I bet that hurt, but this isn't really my scene. Well, yeah, here's the thing. According to maybe the lore of this book, unsure, she can't leave her house. 
Oh, that's true. So, like, if I move, she can't follow me. If I feel someone breathing on my neck while I'm trying to sleep, I'm not down. That's a terrible roommate. Yeah, plus it was, like, according maybe to this book, there might be more than one ghost. And I just don't have it. I don't have the time to go to each ghost and fix their problems. Also, I already have a social battery that runs very low, very easily. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm having to talk to ghosts all day, oh, my, I'm going to die. Yeah. And I'm going to be wandering around with them for eternity. I'm not down. I'm oh not gosh. down. And that'd be the worst because your social battery would be depleted forever. Wait, if you leave a house that's haunted by ghosts, though, did you just ghost them? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And our last question is, in your eyes, what is the best way to solve a murder mystery? Set up a trap. Say, I know who the murderer is and I'm going to turn them into the police at 12 p.m. on a Monday at the courthouse. Then anyone who shows up or tries to intercept me on the way, I'm like, well, you're clearly the murderer. <laughs> and then I turn them in. Uno reverse card. Uno reverse card. Yeah, honestly, just be smart about it, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Don't be stupid. Like, come on, investigate. Like, find secret passages. Like, I like how the, the most people. important part in investigation is finding a secret passage. <laughs> it's not a murder mystery if there's no secret passage. True. Like, it, like actually investigate. Like, learn about people's backgrounds. That's what you do when you're a detective. Or just pull a Dwight Shrew and don't suspect the person you most suspect or the person you least suspect. Do the person you most mid-suspect. Mm-hmm. They are the killer. Every time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Every time. Thank you all so much for joining us in today's in-depth discussion about Belladonna by Adeline Grace. We hope that you'll join us in our upcoming episodes. If you liked our content, don't be afraid to subscribe to the series and follow us on social media. On both Twitter and Instagram, we go by the handle at Kiwi and the Bird. And remember, like a library, at Kiwi and the Bird, shh happens.